Hello and welcome to the Bayside Sermon Series Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Duckworth, Media and Technology Director here at Bayside. This week, we are in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Pastor Ken this week had a scheduling conflict, so we're going to do things a little bit differently, and we're going to answer the sermon discussion guide by reviewing audio clips of the sermon itself. I hope you enjoy our time today. Thank you very much. Let's start with discussion point one. If you had to spend next Saturday morning teaching a Bible study, praying with other Christians, serving breakfast to a group of widows, or cleaning the church grounds, which activity would you choose and why? So as you reflect on this question, Pastor Ken here is directing our thoughts to what the word deacon means. The Greek word that is used in the Bible for deacon is diakonos. Diakonos means to be servant or able ministers. Here's Pastor Ken as he talks about it in the sermon. In fact, the very word deacon means one who serves. If you translated the word deacon, the Greek word deacon, um, literally it means one who serves or servants. Now, I want you to understand here that the implication here isn't that waiting on tables or, or serving tangible needs are somehow below the elders. That's not what the scripture is getting at here. Please uh, don't hear what scripture is not saying. Rather, what we see here is the balance that God intends for the church, right? He calls some to be fully devoted to the word and he calls other to serve the needs of the world, right? They're they're both important. It's a both and, it's not an either or proposition. That's uh, why in the original language in Acts chapter six, there's actually a play on words. Literally, here's what the apostles say. They say, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to deacon tables, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to deaconing the word, right? So the same way some of the, le- the leading servants here served the tables, deacon the tables, is the same way that pastors, elders serve the word. It just looks different. Question two, reading aloud Acts chapter six, one through seven, looking at the following questions. Verse one of Acts chapter six, he says, now in these days, When the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Which two groups were involved in the conflict? What was the particular complaint? So, but here's the situation. There's a, there's a group of Greek-speaking Jews who were known as the Hellenists. They were complaining about the Hebrew-speaking Jews because the Greek-speaking widows were being uh, shorted in their provisions of food, the daily provisions of food. See, for a long time, the Hebrew-speaking Jews looked down on the Greek-speaking Jews. They didn't view them as, as Jewish as the Hebrew-speaking Jews. So they considered them second-class citizens, not as, not as Jewish as the others. And this prejudice carried over into the church. What did the church leaders do in response to the criticism? And word spreads to the apostles. We see verse 2. It says, and the 12, the 12 apostles summoned the full number of the disciples. They gathered the whole church and they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So the apostles 
recognize that this is a pretty serious situation. And so they call a congregational meeting. Apparently, uh, someone was there who had suggested that the apostles who were serving as the pastors and elders of the church, that they are the ones that were supposed to get involved and help divvy up the provisions for the widows and, and to wait on tables. After all, Jesus was the one who washed their feet, right? The least the apostles could do is set a, a plate before a hungry widow. Why did the church leaders choose prayer and teaching over caring for the needy? But the apostles knew what their mission was. They knew their mission was preaching the word, and they understood that they had limits. They couldn't do it all. God created them with limits. God wants them to take a 24-hour period of, of Sabbath every week. So, so they were limited to what they could do. So they recognized their own inability to serve every person and meet every need. So what did they do? Verse 3. Therefore, brothers, they say, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So instead of neglecting their responsibilities of prayer, instead of neglecting their responsibility to study the Bible and to prepare their sermons and to preach, the apostles decided to make the saints part of the solution, right? They allowed the congregation to choose amongst themselves seven men of impeccable character. They call men full of the spirit and of wisdom. How did the congregation respond to the church proposal? Let's look at Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, as well as Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these seven to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And how did the church fare after the leaders delegated authority? And in verse 7, so the word of God continued to spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem grew rapidly, and a great number of priests became obedient to the faith. See, the result of the elders remaining focused on the responsibilities to which God had called them, coupled with these new leaders being developed and commissioned, was one of increased gospel imp impact. It multiplied the ministry of the gospel as people experienced the preaching of the gospel alongside the gospel's tangible uh, and practical uh, serving, servanthood effects. They grew convinced of the truth of Jesus and people were added to their number. They were saved. Now the delegating of responsibilities to help the people of the church or the people of God has happened before. If we look back at Exodus chapter 18, we see Moses has brought the people out of Egypt, brought them to the other side of the Red Sea. And here in chapter 18, we see that Jethro, his father-in-law, has come to bring Moses, his wife, and children because it must have been too dangerous to send them to Egypt with him. Moses at this time has been sitting in judgment of the people. So every day of the over two million people 
that he brought out of Egypt have been coming to him for judgment on whatever disputes that they have with one another. Jethro, after seeing Moses sit all day listening to the people complain, said that this is not a good thing. This is in chapter 18, verses 17. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them known in the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men whom fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide for themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all the people will also go to their place in peace. So we see a great example of God putting in place the spiritual leader and tasking them to do the things to teach the people the things of God, the law of God in this case, because it was the Old Testament, but then also delegating to other people the more day-to-day -day needs or more of the physical things, taking care of the physical needs of these people in their judgments was delegated to trustworthy men that feared God and God blessed them in this way. Question three, what benefits and challenges arise from having different kinds of people in the church? In this case, there was a prejudice against a diverse culture, something that continues to plague the early church with the desire for the Jews to hold on to the law something that still plagues the modern church. Martin Luther King Jr. submitted an article to the New York Times in 1966, and in that article he wrote that Sunday morning at 11 a.m. is the most segregated hour in our country. And while we do our best to make strides to, to be inclusive and to try to find ways to honor each other in love, we still have these cultural biases that seem to be keeping us from serving each other in love and fully including each other. Question four. How can we learn to channel our complaints into solutions? At Bayside, our pastors and elders are very visible and easy to get in touch with. While we might joke that all complaints can be sent to joe at baysidechapel.org, if a member of the congregation has a concern, it really is that easy to get a hold of someone here at Bayside. Uh, you know, in a few weeks, we'll be discussing 1 Timothy chapter 5 and the issue of being idle and gossiping and busybodies and slandering will be discussed. 
These are counterproductive and will lead you down an unrighteous path. So if you have concerns, please reach out to us and know that we are here to listen and to help find a solution for your needs, whether they're physical, spiritual, emotional, anything. We're, we are doing our best to equip our people in our care team and other missions-minded areas to be able to help our people with their needs. Question five. In what ways do you or can you use your gifts and skills in the church? Now, serving at, Bay serving at Bayside in a good... Serving at Bayside is a good way to build deeper relations with the brothers and sisters in the faith. If you have a look at our website, there are several ministries in which people can choose to serve. We have our Connect ministry, such as like with our Sunday morning greeters. We have children's ministry, youth ministry, special needs ministry, our freedom from addiction ministries, our care ministry team, and our worship ministry teams. There are also the communications team, the security team, small group leaders, our chair team, our bagel and coffee team. One thing to keep in mind, not all that serve are called deacons, but all who are called deacon are called to serve. Now we're going to digress here for a moment because there's a question that begs to be asked. Hasn't God called every believer to live a life of servanthood? And the answer to that is yes, absolutely he has. Our lives are to be lived from a posture of, of humble servanthood. And God has certainly called every single believer to serve within a ministry of the church in some way, shape, or form. But so, so when you read the Bible and when you come across this word deacon, I simply want you to think of those who, who lead the church in service. Question six. Based on Pastor Ken's teaching of Acts chapter 6, what are the three tasks of a servant? So three highlights, and then we're going to jump into 1 Timothy 3. Here's the first task of these leading servants, and that's this. They serve the saints by meeting needs according to Scripture. Not only do they serve the saints, though, because here's the second task of these leading servants. They serve the elders by supporting the preaching of Scripture. So what we observed in Acts chapter 6 is that the deacons not only met needs according to Scripture, they also enabled the elders to focus on their leadership responsibilities. The best leaders serve the saints by meeting needs according to Scripture. They serve the elders by the supporting the preaching of the Scripture. And here's the third task, is they serve the church by unifying the body around Scripture. Question 7. After reading 1 Timothy chapters 3, verses 8 through 13, answer the questions below. What qualities must a deacon or leading servant possess? Paul says deacons likewise, because he just got done talking about elders, so he's saying now deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. He goes on in verse 9. He says they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So the first mark of a deacon, the first mark of a, a leading servant, is simply personal integrity. And verse 9 shows us a second mark. They are marked by biblical literacy. 
deacons are marked by biblical literacy. So when Paul tells Timothy that these leading servants of the church must hold to the mystery of the faith, he's saying that these people must be men and women who have a firm grasp on scripture. They must understand the gospel. They, they possess the revealed truth of the gospel of the Christian faith, and they have a strong understanding and commitment to communicating or to expressing that gospel message. They're well-versed in Christian doctrine, and they can articulate their faith with a clear conscience, right? So the ones leading the church in service ought to be marked by personal integrity. They ought to be marked by biblical literacy. And here we see the third marked is they are marked by spiritual maturity. Paul goes on in verses 11 and 12. He says, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. So the ones leading in service to the church are to be marked by personal integrity, by biblical literacy, by spiritual maturity, and here we see the fourth mark, and that's relational health. They're marked by relational health. What is required before someone can serve as a deacon? Paul goes on in verse 10. He says, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. They're marked by spiritual maturity. When Paul says that deacons must also be tested first and must prove themselves, Paul's here talking about a testing of reputation, right? Not, not like a formal written test. This is a testing of reputation that these leading servants must have be observed to be spiritually mature. They must be known among the saints, right? We don't just throw someone into a position of leadership because they talk a big game, because they yap a lot. We don't just throw someone into a position of leadership because of whatever positions of leadership they held at another church. And we certainly don't just throw someone into a position of leadership because they give a lot. That's not how this works. We're to be strategic and intentional with those we appoint to lead and serve this way. There has to be sufficient time given to be able to examine and assess the character of the person and their qualities and qualifications. What sort of a person must a deaconess be? Now, in the ESV, um, which is a translation that we preach from, it says, the wording of the ESV of verse 11 says, their wives likewise. When you read that, you think they're talking about the wives of, of the deacons they just talked about. Um, but in, in Koine Greek, which is the first century Greek that the New Testament was written in, there's no pronoun for there. Um, and any oftentimes when Paul uses the, that word likewise, it means he's introducing something new. So literally what it, it, it says here, it says um, women likewise must be dignified. It doesn't actually say their wives. Um, most other English translations will say women because um, the, the word for wives is also the same Greek word for women. So Paul here, there, there's good reason to believe then, along with the fact of Phoebe in Romans 16, that God calls women into these, le into these uh, positions of, of leading servants as well. So like the men, the women are also to be held to the same standards of personal integrity and biblical literacy and spiritual maturity. They're not to be slanderers or gossips. 
right? Getting sidetracked by complaints or rumors or divisive conversations. And for both men and women, if they have families, it should be observable that they lead their families well, that they manage their household, that they lead their children in godly and gracious ways. What benefit is there in serving well? And there's a great reward for those who serve in this capacity. Look at verse 13. Paul says, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So there's a twofold reward for these servants. There's a reward before men and there's a reward before God. They gain a good standing for themselves before those whom they serve, right? That's their reward before men. They're going to earn the respect of the church. They're going to have some influence, positive influence with the congregation. So that's their reward there. But then there's also the reward from God. And the reward from God is that they get to grow in their confidence in the gospel, right? They experience that ever-deepening joy and confidence that comes from drawing close to Christ, that is a natural byproduct of being someone of, uh, of a deep personal integrity and someone who's always in the scripture and someone who's growing in Christ-likeness and someone who just learns to live moment by moment more and more on absolute dependence in Christ. These are people that experience that ever-deepening confidence from the Lord. Question eight. Which of the character qualities needed by both elders and deacons do you think is the most important for a church leader to possess? Now, as we've discussed before, Bayside is different from other church denominations. And as you interact with people from other backgrounds, you will find that they have different opinions on this and different interpretations of what the scriptures say. So it is important that, as Pastor Kim was talking about, that we look at what the foundational basics of the understanding of the word are. And while some will be okay with women being elders, and Bayside is of the opinion that that is not what is scripturally true, it is important to keep in mind that God is in control of all, and that he loves us, and he created us, and that he sent his son to die for us so that one day those who believe in him may join him in heaven. Question 9. Let's review the four marks of a leading servant. So our leading servants at Bayside, our ministry directors and others, are those who are marked by these four things. They're those who are marked by personal integrity, those who are marked by biblical literacy, those who are marked by spiritual maturity, and those who are marked by relational health. Finally, question 10. This is a reflection question. Although applied specifically to leaders here, the qualities of 1 Timothy 3 are important for all Christians. Of the qualities mentioned, what are two or three you have made progress with this year? In which area do you want to grow in now? And how can Bayside help you? Next week, we are finishing up chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. As we start in verse 14, 
Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these things, in case I am delayed, so that you will know how each one must conduct himself in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. By common confession, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was proclaimed among the nations, was believed in throughout the world, was taken up in glory. That concludes our time this week. We hope that you would be a part of our congregational services, either in person or online this Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. And we thank you for being a part of our listening audience today. Have a blessed week.